0: Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Rahul Jani, and I'm here with Leon Everett. Let's go! Hello and welcome to Ace Comicals episode 77. I'm joined by Leon Everett and we're sailing the ship alone without our captain Greg Driver today because he's busy making really uh, adult life decisions and we're left to fend for ourselves but we're going to talk about some video games, we're going to talk about some TV shows, we're going to talk about some films and ultimately we're going to talk about a comic that we spoke about a year and a half ago now called Crowded Um, and there's one full trade paperback volume which we're going to discuss and... Let's take it from there. So, Leon, how have you been?
1: Not too bad, not too bad. It feels like only yesterday that we did our last recording. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a weird feeling, uh, I guess, as well, that is accentuated by the fact that I saw a movie with you recently. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, things have been good. Things have been good.
0: Yeah, we spent too much time together. I need to get away from you more. <laughs> That's what it is. That is every that is every the problem. Every time I talk to you feels like we're
1: recording something. So. <laughs> I am. I am every time. B rolls. <laughs> Did you want to talk about the film that we watched? Yes. Yeah, so on Friday we um, checked out uh, Ryan Johnson's uh, latest movie, *Knives Out*. Which, um, if you paid attention to any trailers or I heard anything about it, in general, it's a whodunit, uh, and it stars Daniel Craig, Lucky Stanfield. I don't even want to say any more, actually, because there's some actors who appeared in this and I was like, oh, I didn't even know you were in this. And it was a, <laughs> a delightful surprise. But um yeah, it, it was overall, I really enjoyed it. I think what it does smartly is that it runs counter to what you're expecting going in. And I won't go into detail with what I mean about that. But I think you're going to get a different film than you're expecting when you walk in if you've seen any marketing or anything like that and i really enjoyed that aspect of it i thought that it played around with the genre conventions of your say murder mystery especially ones to do with like families and um yeah it was uh it was it was good fun and i would highly recommend checking it And just going in blind, really, I think you're going to get a a good movie uh, doing that. The music, which was done by Nathan Johnson, who's Ryan's brother, was um, was really good. It's really subtle as well. But it it plays on elements of the genre, like your, your typical sort of Agatha Christie adaptation type. And it... It, it sort of leaps forward from there and 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 takes lefts where you're expecting rights, and uh, all in all, I quite enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, got to agree. I had a really good time at the cinema watching that. I think, um, like you said, I wouldn't want to spoil people going into it because I all I knew about it is that it was a murder mystery and that it was directed and written by Ryan Johnson. And I'm here for you know everything that he does. Really. Mm. Um, the thing you were talking about it countering your expectations, I super have to agree with. I think I was really I really enjoyed how it does that like he's taken the time to consider what we would go in thinking and find a really interesting but not like up your up his own butt sort of way to um like flip stuff on the head it's not like winking aggressively at you on the screen I think it's really nicely done and it doesn't treat the audience as like dumb because there's moments where I think I was doing that thing in my head where you're like when you're reading or sorry, when you're watching a murder mystery, you're trying to piece it together yourself and you're trying to figure out the twists and turns. And it, it finds a really good balance of making you feel smart, but then not shoving it in your face when it reveals something that you probably didn't think of.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: It left me feeling really satisfied because of that. I didn't feel dumbed down. And I also didn't feel like I figured it all out from the get go. And even the times when I did figure stuff out. I felt like it was so uh like well crafted and well written that it it didn't feel like I'd got one over the film as well at the same time. And it's it's a really really interesting balance to to strike. And I think super held up by the performances, like a great cast which again like I don't really want to reveal like you said cuz people you don't realize who are in it, but like all of the main actors did a stellar job at like playing this insidious family uh like
1: mystery drama and i yeah really enjoyed it i would recommend people checking it out for sure uh and also spoke about it sort of briefly last episode so i won't go into mega detail on this episode but um just the last two episodes of hbo's Watchmen that have aired since we last recorded just want to give those a special shout out um Again, this is a hard one to talk about until we actually do uh, our post-Episode uh, 9 deep dive and um, reappraisal of the, the whole season. But I will just add that I think that the last episodes were some of the strongest, and I think part of that is down to them being uh, more character pieces in the sense that they're focused almost primarily on one character um, for the duration of their episodes and by doing that they get to delve in deep with some quite explosive subject matter. There's Because they're taking quite big swings there's like so much risk inherent into some of the stories they're telling but I think that a deft hand is being used uh, especially in context of things such as say generational trauma um and like the passing on of that and the sort of cyclical nature of of some of those elements and um I'm really looking forward to properly um like digging in because like, there's a lot of a lot of meat on this bone and we with, with these episodes uh, well, I watch them and I'm, I'm I get the pang straight afterwards that I need to talk to somebody about this. I need to <laughs> discuss um, what I've just seen. Because there, there's a lot of wild imagery um, that is a treat if you're a, a, a person who's read the book. But also a treat if you're just going in cold with this with this show for the first time and you have no idea what's going on in terms of the references being made to the original text. And I think they are, they're walking that tight. Ty- tightrope um really really well um and mm. i'm really uh, surprised uh like positively in some of the territory they're they're taking on and how um how expertly they're handling it and even from a non-thematic or like metaphorical perspective just the filmmaking in these episodes mm. is phenomenal
0: yeah Episode six in particular, like, I mean, they've all been quite visually arresting and they've all done some, every episode I think so far has done some really interesting things with using really striking imagery or finding something that's beyond what you'd normally find in television. Because I think I mentioned this to you, maybe, maybe on cast, but like the closest touchstone I have to that is Legion, for example, mm. and possibly Euphoria does some of that, that trippiness, but also it's, it's really carving out its own visual style. Um, which is unique to both of those two things I mentioned earlier. Like, I, I don't know how they're finding this new visual voice, but it's really cool. And episode six in particular does some really interesting stuff and, like, some good, really interesting one-shot one, one shot long takes and, f- like, tying all these different shots together is really clever.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think you mentioned on pod or off pod about uh-huh. how the... Um some of the blocking and the, the shot construction is uh, in, invokes like comic book panels so strongly, but, mm. but not in a sort of cheesy on the nose way, but in a way that really builds up what's happening in front of us and also ties it to its like roots. Yeah. A lot
0: of, a lot of things like, um, like your traditional match cuts and stuff in cinema but doing it in a way that just feels like you have the the similar sort of thing with comic book panels where you can have the framing of one panel match the framing of the next. I I don't know. There's just something really elegant about how it merges cinematic storytelling and like visual static storytelling on screen that I'm really impressed by. And maybe it's just because I'm more attuned to comic books than your average TV viewer, perhaps. But I, I feel like I'm picking up on, the the more comic booky side of it than the yeah. cinema side of it I, I don't know it just i there's a lot of really striking things like that
1: yeah it's like a lot of really good like shot composition or mm. uh, the uses of color uh, there's so much that g- could be said about uh, the subtleties but also the non-subtle uh, like framing that we're seeing <laughs> there's um a lot of good stuff going in there this this is a thing where early on we been wondering if it's um, it's like it's such they've bitten off so much we're wondering if if they've bitten off more than they can chew and um, the worry at the beginning of all of this is if Lindelof could stick the landing and we'll find out properly in like three episodes or so but um, Mm -hmm. I think for for what they've done so far what they've accomplished what they've aimed for and done um, even if Things completely like go to shit (laughs) in the last episode or something like that. I think it's worth it for for where we've got to so far, and I I would say for now, I think he, him, and his uh, writers' room are sticking the landing.
0: Yeah, certainly. I, I mean, I was already in because it was Damon Lindelof, and I have such an affection for his previous works, particularly The Leftovers, which you've also expressed how much you enjoy that show, and I think from the get-go the Watchmen it brings up some topics like some cultural topics and some current anxieties which really give you pause it makes you think I I really want them to do this justice and like have the right people in the room have the right writers actually you know fulfill this promise Um, and I'm being vague deliberately uh, because I don't want to spoil anything but that that anxiety which I think was quite high from the first episode I think has slowly diminished, and I have more and more trust in what he and his writers are doing with this show. Um, and it's funny you bring that up, because that reminds me of the next thing I wanted to talk about. So the two, th- two things we talked about right now are a murder mystery, and a, like a socially conscious story, which possibly has the like, uh, gives you the idea that it might not be paying off the things that it's collecting from the get go, but then ultimately you feel more and more comforted by it. That really reminds me of a game that I've been playing recently called Disco Elysium or Disco Elysium, which um, we both disco- or discovered, found for the first time a couple of years ago at Resed EGX, I believe. Was it 2017,
1: yeah. 2018? I think it um, was the 20s, post-
0: yeah, 2017, I think. No, yeah. it's a while ago, yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember us both like just pausing in front of the multiple screens they had set up, where it was like a... So Disco Elysium is a, a, a top-down isometric um, RPG, I guess. Uh, the, at, at its face, it looks like your um, your classic Baldur's Gates, your Planescape Torments. Um, and it, it does essentially follow that same structure. It's top-down, you you click around a map, and you lead your party to you know talk to different people and discover the world and the thing that i really enjoyed about this game was that it's very uh combat minimal while keeping these rpg mechanics so um the whole thing about this game is you play a a re really down in his down in his luck cop who wakes up with the hangover of all hangovers um and has a conveniently amnesiac episode where he can't remember who he is what he did um and it allows the opportunity to talk talk to people in this um fantastical but not like semi sci-fi semi fantasy but also hewing to like alternate universe politics world and it just affords the opportunity to like explore all these very different colorful cast of characters with a colorful cast of politics and lets you choose how to engage with them mm. um Uh, So let me roll back a little because I didn't explain who this is by. So it's uh, a game that came out recently. I think it was end of October 2019 by Azum Games. That's AZ slash UM Games. Um, And it's it's a... I don't know exactly where the studio is based, but I know that the lead writer, who is called uh, Robert Kurvitz is a Karelian-Estonian writer. And they've been working on this project for, I think, a good 10 years. I think they developed it first as a, a tabletop RPG or like a D tabletop game system. And they've since developed it into a novel which hasn't actually yet been released. Or maybe it was written in I think Russian. I could be wrong about that, but it's certainly not been translated into English yet. And I think they're currently in the process of translating it into English. And then they've also developed it into this game that they've been working on. And um the reason I wanted to talk about it on this cast is because it it really has a, a comic bookiness. In its art, in like how fluid and painted and iridescent and murky the the visuals are, but it also has like touchstones to things like die because it is like the comic book um die by Karen Gillen because it has these like d and d um trappings because essentially every interaction you have with a person is governed by um like dice rolls, so you have multiple parts of your inner monologue which are represented as different skills and every time you talk to somebody you are constantly the system is constantly rolling dice to do a check against whether this particular aspect of your personality is engaging with the conversation you're having with this person so you can be talking to a um like a distraught mother and secretly in the background your character will be rolling a dice against his empathy skill and whether your empathy is higher or high enough or not will determine whether your inner monologue will pick up on something that this woman is engaging with in her life that you know you may or may not have noticed if your empathy was low. And it's it's a really interesting system. And the thing I really like, the the thing that I had in mind when I was playing it um, was that unlike a film and unlike a book, but very much like a comic. It allows you to experience these multiple moments, which are perceived simultaneously. So you're looking at a comic book page, and you get to look at the entire spread of moments, which may or may not encompass, you know, minutes or hours or weeks or even just seconds. Mm. Um, Disco is like internal dialogue presents the same compression and expansion of moments that I get from a comic book. Like you know, you can scan back and forth over a page in disco Elysium you get this thing where your internal monologue suddenly pauses the the gameplay and you have this whole conversation in your own head um in literally in game like your 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 internal monologue is explained out in text and you can have this whole dialogue with yourself in which which can take like minutes of your own real life time but represents only you know seconds of consideration within the game and like i don't know there's something about that that really did feel very comic booky to me in combination with the the like the comic booky visuals and um i don't know it feels there's moments in this game which feel like a visual novel that you get to control like you get to unfurl the moments and discoveries at your own pace you can be given a reveal and then hi- have time to chew on it um, scroll back through the text and choose how to feel before proceeding. And that's even before you get to the point of it being a, a visual novel slash RPG type game where you have to make decisions about how your character feels and reacts to the world around him. And so to bring it back to what you were saying about uh, Watchmen and whether or not Lindelof is, you know, that, that anxiety about him sticking the landing, um, that this game gave me a very similar sense of, like, from the get-go, i I had to persist past a point where I could feel that the designers and the writers and the artists were acting in good faith mm. because it's a game that um from the get-go lets you interact with awful people and then gives you the opportunity to agree with them like this is I don't want to spoil anything because I know that you haven't played it but you intend to play it this is maybe opening 30 minutes spoiler but like one of the first people you encounter is a racist nationalist and one of the ways that you can progress through the story because that person is presenting a barrier is to take on their ideology take on their racist ideology and agree with him so that he considers you an ally and he lets you pass and like if i would forgive anyone i'm very understanding of anyone who would bounce off of this game from that interaction alone but I persisted because I got the sense that they were acting in good faith, and it turns out I think that all of these like all of these opportunities for picking an a, what I would consider an objectively awful or morally corrupt choice are are appropriately weighed in the game, and I think they've been very deliberate um because it's it's very easy to read this as without getting too muddled in the topic, like your protagonist is an irresponsible mess um, and he has the opportunity for like falling into moral corruption or having redemption through the convenience of this amnesiac plot that he's going through. Except it's it's not convenient. The only one who's forgotten his behavior is himself. You know, everybody else in the world around him is fully cognizant of all of the, the crap that he's done To get him to the point that he, you know, like basically, essentially, he's drunk himself into forgetfulness. And you, as the player, get to choose what you do with that. And you can make all these right or wrong choices, but essentially, it only affects how you feel in that moment. So, what I'm getting at is that you're reacting to all these people around you. And I think it's an exploration of what it means to make the worst and the best choices in yourself. And it's a, it's a really interesting story. I feel like it's a really mature plot and a really mature exploration of, of somebody who is at one of the worst points in his life and what it requires, the energy that it requires to become a better person. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end that point there. The, the other thing that I want to talk about is how it's, despite it being essentially a, a murder mystery plot, and I'm not going to go into any plot details about that. But I feel like it's a murder mystery plot with the giving the opportunity to talk about politics. And it's an extremely political game, except for the fact that there's only four points on its moral compass. You can either be an out and out communist, an out and out fascist, an out and out ultra liberal capitalist, or a, uh, like a, a a laughable centrist, I think, is the way the game calls it. <laughs> and initially, my my frustration with the game is that it only lets you be the extreme compass points. Like yeah, you have to, I'm you have to be ask the ask ex- about this. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it, it does essentially it, it gives you these this multitude of options, but you have to play on the extreme ends of all of these compass points. But the longer I played, the more confident I felt that in the presentation of only the extreme options. The nuances don't come from the protagonist, but from the supporting cast. Like, you're playing this middle-aged, drunk, white dude. And I don't know. I feel like that's informing the choices that you get to play through, like these extreme points. Because he is a—he's essentially, despite being down on his luck, he's in a position of privilege. And then he gets to talk to this cast of characters who introduce all the complexities and the moral greys about... Yeah those particular political alignments and i think given enough time with this game i think it's it, it's it's so smart it's so clever and it knows it's is very intentional with what it's doing
1: mm. do you get like a sort of like mad maxy vibe where like max himself is i guess orange and new black as well where they're the main characters are like the vessel um to open up all these uh conversations and like topics I think initially yes I think for the first like few hours of the game that is
0: exactly it he feels like the um like the blank slate that you can bounce your like as a player your political ideology off and then see how other people react to you playing through that ideology but as the game progresses I feel like it becomes more complex I think it does more it, it go it transcends the Mad Max thing that you just described I think it 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 has its cake and eats it, but like, it's a really fulfilling meal. Like, you know, I don't. I wonder if there's a better phrase to describe that because, like, it feels like it's having its cake and eating it at the start, but it earns that cake at the end. Like, I feel like it goes through this whole process and then it ultimately tells a better story by showing you how this blank slate is crafted by your decisions throughout the entire game. And I'm so in love with this game. I I can't express just how how many moments of like pathos and like sadness and happiness and all of these things that it drew out in me. And it has some of my favorite storytelling moments, let alone video game moments, just storytelling moments from all of the media that I've seen in the last year, I believe. I, I'm going to have to sit down and think about it in the context of like my decade, since everyone's talking about looking past in the decade, but it's really up there. It's really up there as one of my favorite things that i've experienced Mm. you know in in recent times for sure i'd urge everybody who's got the patience to sit and sit and read in front of their computer i would really suggest playing this game and i think it's coming to consoles next year as well so yeah
1: yeah i'm looking forward to to giving that a try i've bumped it higher up the list then uh uh, a game released when it was should be, so uh, <laughs> uh, get to it sooner rather than later
0: mm. And like I hope that they're going to bring out some DLC for it, I don't think they've been, it's not part of the plan they've, described. it's not like an EA game where you know that there's going to be these particular things at different milestones being released I think they've hinted at the idea of maybe expanding on the world, and they're going to release the the book that is set I think, 20 years after the Games events. Um, So I'm looking forward to that coming out next year. Um, Off of the back of this, uh, I've really been wanting to engage with more stuff that's kind of like set in the same style of world. So I've been reading a book by uh, China Mivel. I don't know if you have heard of this this guy. Yeah, Yeah, because I think the first time I encountered his name was from a story called The Three Body Problem. I think that was his, which I learned about off the back of Arrival. Um, I think maybe they were talking about how that story was similar to this story. But the book I'm i I've picked up since Disco Elysium is The City in the City. So hopefully by the next recording I'll have finished that and I'll I'll talk about that when I get there. Yeah. Uh was there anything else you want to talk about, or shall we move on to our review for this week, which is crowded? Let's jump in. Yeah, so crowded. Um We decided to read volume one, uh, which covers issues number one to number six. We actually spoke about issue one back in August of 2018. I can't believe it's a year and a half ago that we talked about issue one. I didn't realize it had gone on that long. At the time of recording, which is um, the start of December, I think they're on 10 issues right now. Um, But yeah, we talked about issue one in uh, August of 2018, which was episode 42 of Ace Comicals. Um, this is a book by, written and designed by Christopher Sabella, um, pencils by Rose Steen, inks by Ted Brandt, colors by Trion Pharrell, and letters by Cardinal Ray, and it's a, it's an image comic, if I'm not mistaken, is that right?
1: That's, that's true.
0: Right. Um, so it's got everything going for it, all of the stuff that we like. Uh, so yeah, dive in. Where did you want to jump off from where we talked about this in issue one? I think we were both quite... And, and, and Greg as well also read this. I think we're all quite high on this book from issue one.
1: Yes. Uh, to sort of bounce off from something that I mentioned uh, last time we spoke about it, which was uh, episode forty-two, I believe. I mentioned it in th- uh, relation to uh, the season one, op- uh, sorry, the season three opener of Black Mirror, um, which was Nose Dive, mm-hmm. and that was the episode where everyone. Uh, rated each other and everybody had an app Um, uh, and every interaction you had to think about even if it was a negative to yourself to be nice to someone else that they would give you like five stars Mm -hmm. and in tying that with uh, that main concept of this where in this you have the reaper app and people can basically uh, kickstart a hit on you um if they for what for whatever reason and then uh the person who gets that hit will will get all the the kickstarted money and I think Reaper take 40% or something like that mm. so in a, in a world where you have that you have that worry but this is where I also thought that actually the final episode of that season um of Black Mirror ties in really well which is uh, hated in the nation which is the the feature-length one at the time.
0: Oh yeah, yeah,
1: and yeah. With that, it, it was a case where bloodthirsty hashtags um, would end up getting people targeted. Uh, by semi-spoiler for episode <laughs> artificial bees, mm. and in the way that the show examines the, uh, I guess the. The inflated endpoint of a, a, a culture, I guess in that thing it was like an early comment on like cancel culture, i guess mm. and how that can be uh wielded uh to doom because it's like a a jury a judge jury and executioner um on social media
0: yeah like the 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 flawed wisdom of crowds kind of
1: thing yeah mm. uh, and the uh the sort of mob mentality that you can Mm. get with that, where it becomes self-perpetuating. I think what Crowded does and does more efficiently is look into the more broader societal uh, endpoints of that. I guess not even endpoints, really, but uh, more the eventualities and um, all the sort of tangential elements to that because in in the basic conceit of this it isn't um just a cancel culture thing it's uh it's a a world where the gig economy like rules large and seems to be like the number one um front-facing storefront of capitalism and rather than it being like um uh, a sort of fable or um, a parable of like the dark ends of what happens if somebody is, um people take issue with something somebody's done, what this sort of uh, brings up is actually all the different elements that could lead into that. Um, and what happened if like law enforcement um, and the government and legislation was wrapped up in this, and through doing that, I think what it does is broaden out a- and generalize the causes that lead to a thing like this, rather than it just being a twilight zone. Or imagine there was an app where people could kill you Running Man style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And- that's
0: what I was going to say. It's not just about hey, look at this crazy app. It's more about like yeah. how the gig economy affects everything. Um, like the logical extreme of introducing this kind of system to the world and then how that can affect all the different facets of it. Like you were saying, it's um, like it, it infects law, government, legislation, it affects all of that. It's not just this one isolated, crazy thing that's happening.
1: Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Um, I, I don't know if uh, for for people who have no idea, if you wanted to do like a basic general rundown of what the hell this book is about. <laughs>
0: I mean, so we hinted at it, but it's essentially about a um a woman called Charlotte Ellison or Charlie for short, who has had a um a hit put out on her through a a gig economy app called Reaper, where she wakes up one day to um the app itself having accumulated one point two million dollars worth of funding from over two thousand people who want her dead. And this is a thing that happens um, often in this society. It's not a new thing. Uh, people have um, have been essentially kick-started for death in the past. It's something that is uh, known in the world. It's something that's it's set in America. It's, um, it's just a thing that happens now. Uh, but ha- it, it seems to have started by... Uh, cuz i think they hint at this halfway through the issue as halfway through the volume where it's normally it's like really rich famous or like um see, you know corporation heads and stuff like that where they get to uh like have crowd funded by the public um like these decisions to you know to murder these people sent out to the populace you know uh it's it's not normally used to target like low level individuals at so that high level yes at such a large like monetary value and normally these things fizzle out there's like there's certain specific rules like you have to get the hit out the hit has to be accomplished within 30 days otherwise you can never target that individual again it's all governed by law the police know about it it's all part of it's intertwined with the um the way that the policing is done throughout the country um but yeah the fact that sh- this Individual who doesn't either doesn't know or is unwilling to admit to um, the audience what she did to earn this ire. Uh, The fact that she has accumulated 1.2 million dollars worth of like uh, a hit on her is wild. So she, in response to this, she takes out um, or she puts uh, she joins another app which is called Defender. Um, and requests the uh, the services of our second protagonist, Vita Slatter, as bodyguard services. And so we're basically following um, Charlie and Vita through this adventure. And Volume 1 essentially covers the first three days of the 30-day period where Charlie has this hit out on her. Yeah. Hmm. Which was my not very brief way of introducing
1: the story. No, I think you covered um, a lot of the bases without mm. getting into the weeds mm. but um yeah it's, it's like we've mentioned not uh, on the previous set there's, there's a lot of fascinating things about this the, the way the world was built in the first issue is really economical and efficient um long-time listeners will know that i often balk at issue ones because i always feel like they've only given me barely a beginning like it feels like they give me a quarter of a chapter and so mm. i always feel like i'm it, the jump to like Going to issue two is is a bigger jump because I don't feel I've got anything in issue one. But I, I felt that th- the issue one of this was really effective in setting up the stakes of the world and giving you world building without pointing at it. Like you don't really get exposition in, in this until I think issue two or three, mm-hmm. uh, and even that is done in a, a semi lamp shaded way. But I um I think what carries you through the first issue is not just what a compelling setup it is, but also how uh, three-dimensional the characters appear, despite it being really easy for them to sort of fall into tropes, and how Mm -hmm. well the character design is, and how the world, despite being like a sort of capitalist (laughs) dystopia, is still a functioning world, and there's a lot of 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 color like the book isn't isn't ugly to read despite the the core concept being quite quite an ugly thing and Mm. that mixed in with the like sprinkling of like comedy um and um absurdity uh, of a lot of which is the whole 10 minutes into the into the future thing but instead of it just being, oh, 10 minutes into the future of, of all this these particular ideas, it feels like 10 minutes into the future of, like, every element. So it's like, 10 minutes is the future of the gig economy, 10 minutes into the future of, like, app usage, 10 minutes into the future of, like, uh, influences and, mm-hmm. uh, like, str- uh, live streaming, and 10 minutes into the future on the ent- entanglement that law enforcement government has with all these uh, sort of too big to fail capitalist uh, extremities, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of that works to elevate it beyond uh, a, a, a base commentary you could have, where it's like, "Oh, these millennials and their apps, blah blah." It's like, like, you can tell this is written by people who are part of the the world that we have now, where they're uh, extremely online, going from one app to one app where you're uh in your uber home and you're on postmates if you're in america or delivery here ordering dinner so that it arrives 10 minutes after you get in and then you load up your smart tv and but and all of that uh like feeds into it uh each other and it feels like what this book handles is like the the logical uh next step of of a lot of these things if 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 gone unregulated,
0: Mm. yeah, like unchecked technology and unchecked privatization. Yeah, Mm.
1: and I think that with that topic, there's a lot of different ways you can go around uh, sort of bringing it to the image in a way because it's a lot of a lot of a lot of ideas like like I was saying that could be handled. Fairly, flatly, or one-dimensionally. But I think that by digging into these characters, and over the course of these six issues, uh, we we find out more about the world, but more about the, the characters. So, like, starting off, the, the first person we sort of meet is, like, Charlie, who, like, in the first issue, we see that she has, like, 11 jobs or so uh in, in one day she'll do 11 app-based jobs uh mm-hmm. and part of that is like obviously a comment commentary on the world that it, it um that is taking place but also something that i didn't really pick up on the first uh time reading the, just the first issue was um what commentary it is on her Because Mm. uh, she has a dialogue with Vita in that first issue where it's like, oh, you only have one job type thing (laughs) where um, and part part of because the thing is, she's quite a narcissistic and like she had quite a myopic outlook. And part of that is formed in a world where you're rated by others. And it's also formed in a world where, say, Instagram has become king. And it's all about checking in and saying, I was at this place. But it's not actually really about enjoying the thing. So and she's like like I mentioned before, she's quite in, in, impetuous. Um she often leaps without thinking. And I think part of the just the core odd couple uh setup we have with these two lead characters, a lot of a lot is mined out of the fact that she will just do things. Um despite the fact that there is a uh over million dollar hit out on her head. Like if if it was me, I would be hunkering down. Uh I would be like Mr. Robot, uh hard drives and phones in a microwave and Mm. sleeping under a bed for for 30 days. But her, she like wants to go out. And part of the comedy is like Vita allows her to go out instead of just handcuffing her to a bait in her basement or something like that. So but what we get from her going out um is that we, we get a, a deeper look into who she is because she i i i think one of the criticisms you could have uh and what people often have when they talk about unlikable characters, especially mm. if they're like protagonists, is why should i care like i why should I care if someone puts a bullet in her in her head like she's really really annoying person um and I, I think what the book does is, one, we spend a lot of uh, interior time with Vita and like other characters, uh, which I think uh, sets up the, the idea that it isn't just about like good people, bad people, or whatever. This is about a system and the tentacles of the system and who it um, intersects with uh, and, and how, how different people uh, are using the system uh, to survive or, or, or for their, their own ends. And mm. one of the things that I find quite interesting with Charlie is that she seems to be able to gel with people quite easily. Like, uh, I think it's issue five where she sneaks off and ends up on, like, a a Hindu talking with, like, a, mm. a future bride, and hanging out with all of her people, and ending up in, like, a, a strip club. Uh, it's called By isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Which is a fantastic name, and a fantastic mm. shout-out to uh, Scott Pilgrim. But, um... Not the only shout-out to Scott Pilgrim, I noticed, by the way. In no, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, um... What... What I thought what was really cool there is how, yeah, she's she's able to become people's best friends really easily. She's one of those mm-hmm. people who has like a bubbly, fun energy, and I think part of that comes from the fact that she leaps first and uh, is easy, gets people talk, in their feelings, talking, and she, she's able to just, just to get on with people so well, and that explains how she can be how how she can function so highly on like so many apps. Because uh, there's the the friend app where people hire your time to hang out with them, and like mm. she wouldn't do well on apps like that if she was someone yeah. who it was unfun to be around. But then what we also explore with uh, with her over the course of these six issues is that uh, her narcissism and myopic nature like rub people the wrong way. And while she could be your best friend on the night. She's likely a person who is uh, unconcerned with or like, oblivious to how, her, what her words or actions, um, like the effects they have on you. And so, yeah, and
0: this this is doubled down by the fact that early on, she gets a list of all the people who have put a hit out, who have contributed to this hit on her. And many of them seem to be her friends. Yeah. And that becomes a plot point um, early on in, this, in the volume.
1: Uh, to the level where we even get um, this character called Trotter, who we're going to uh, later, uh, There, he has sort of puts up like a sort of reel of like loads of people um, talking about her who don't like <laughs> and saying mm. the why they like jumped in on the hit.
0: Yeah, including and, her own mum, which well, is yeah, savage. So, like, <laughs> yeah.
1: like, the thing that actually ends with like her mum saying, um, whatever you do, don't come home, which is savage. Mm. It's like not anything like uh, I don't like you, but I'll support you, type thing. But more case of like, like your your problems are not my problems, and it hmm. it, it it goes to and I don't know it, uh, explore like a damage that she has, and, and
0: it's interesting because it's a damage that we we kind of only get to see the surface of, because yeah. like with her interactions with Vita, she doesn't seem ultimately awful. She, she doesn't seem like the type of person who you'd want to put money. to to murder because of her actions. She might be like a bit much, you know, like in in commas, or she might be like an extreme um, uh, extrovert or like, you know, be constantly haranguing, but she doesn't seem evil or awful, you know.
1: She's like the person who'd be like an annoying housemate where they would just do annoying things, like not put the milk back in the fridge or, like take stuff and then not replace them um, at, at the worst uh, in, uh, have a party without, without telling you on a, on a weeknight type of thing. But she doesn't sure. seem like the type of person who's stealing from you or is like hmm. um, backstabbing you uh, or like stuff of that nefarious nature.
0: And that is one of the driving mysteries of this book is why does she have the hit out on her, which we ultimately don't really get a, a good answer for in these first six issues
1: Yeah, and, and like, she's holding in answers that she has that are more a case of, like, everyone hates me a little bit, I guess, but we know Mm -hmm. that there's more, like, a a core actions or relationship that she's had, which would have a knock-on effect more than just a couple of people not liking her to get up to, like, what ends up, I think, at the end of these six issues is two uh, million.
0: Yeah. And I've got a point to make on that which we can get in later. So remind me to go back to like the values of mm. how much you know how much people have
1: got a hit out on her. But yeah, continue. But yeah, it's um I I quite like that because uh, uh in terms of I like that they make her like not just a trope character.
0: Hmm. And like it because to speak to the thing that you said about um How her being the type of person who operates on all these different jobs at the same time, the fact that she um, does an Airbnb service, an Uber service, a um, a car lending service, a clothes lending service, a dog walking service, a babysitting service, a a calculus tutoring service, a money lending service, which is really interesting because that's one that we don't currently have in our world where individuals can lend money at like a short term interest rate kind of thing.
1: Like payday um, loans, but uh, like the gig economy version. Yeah, it's
0: crazy. Um, the the you know the the power rent one, which is like uh, renting a friend for an hour. Um, the thing that that informs about her gets seeded early on, and again pays off really well in the issue where she goes on that Hindu and she's in a situation where she she's really close to actually being killed, like for that goal to be accomplished, and she says in tears and what I can only assume is extremely genuine and not a ploy on her part but she says I've got so much to live for and in the background is all the scenes we saw at the start of issue one where she's going through all of these you know these gig apps that she's doing and like if she's being genuine the things that she does live for are those individual jobs those individual moments we see the flashback from when she's sitting with an old man on the bench who has hired her to you know be her friend for an hour uh, the fact that she's walking these dogs for these strangers, like, those are the things that fulfill her life. It's not and a she... slog. It's not yeah. a slog for
1: her. She enjoys the different elements of the of these jobs that she has.
0: Mm. And, like, that's the thing that gives her meaning. And, like, I like that it's, it's not just... Like, I, it, the fact that it goes deeper into criticizing the gig economy beyond isn't it awful how everything is... Um, uh, an is, as, as an app now yeah the fact that it can have meaning to somebody that it does have value beyond just the monetary like the capitalist thing that it's critiquing i think yeah. is really smart
1: well, yeah exactly because um just to side not sideline i guess but just to jump into one of those um in a bit of detail without hmm. um, getting to too much the uh, the friend renting one the power rent one is uh in concept a really good service if you remove the fact that uh, it's like a a money service Hmm. because there's obviously loads of downsides to that. And um, I'm sure like a a billion boomer articles about why millennials ruin the world uh, uh, in there inherently. But there is a lot of benefit to people who are isolated, especially if you're like in a big city, you just moved to a big city and you might have uh, some form of anxiety or you're just not a gregarious person, anyway. But you just you you want to like meet someone in in a non we're going on a date Tinder way. You you mm-hmm. just like to spend an hour or two with someone who's got some of the same interests and just just hang out without it being like a particular thing. Without you having to join this like after work club or something like that. And the fact that you don't even have to talk to anybody until you get there Hmm. that there's so many benefits of like having an app where like you can just pick the thing that pick the things that you want and get them that having one where it's like oh this person seems has got a good rating and seems to like a lot of these things this would be cool uh it'd it'd be nice to get out of the house and hang out that Mm -hmm. concept is really really nice and i know that uh some other nations already have something similar like uh like less apps and more services where uh you have like a companion uh, a plutonic companion for like a, a mm. half a day or something like that and i think there's a lot of good you can get from a service like that um that isn't just uh well where, where the uh evaluation isn't just a thing of like oh man look at society we can't even talk to people anymore we have everything's an app everything's everyone's behind a computer not talking to anyone it's like
0: Yeah, because the point of these apps is to get someone else to do the heavy lifting for you, right? So when you, when it comes to finding a friend, you want someone who is social and gregarious, and like, to take the heavy lifting off someone who might be an introvert, or might find it hard to, might be in a position where it's hard to meet people, like this old man who just wants someone to feed the pigeons with, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I I like that we get that flavour in this, and it, it isn't just this, uh, one-sided polemic.
0: Mm, yeah, for sure. Then again, on the flip side, we have things. We have like the ultra dystopian thing, where it's what if the fire uh, fire services were privatized, and when your your like your your old um, vintage, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but a really old house is beautiful and made out of wood and like five stories high is on fire, and you turn up there and you realize that the the ambulance service or sorry the fire service is waiting for you to get there so you can make the choice between water or like toxic foam that will is it has 65% more chance of saving your belongings they haven't taken action because they want to see which one you're willing to fund for them that's the other side of that where like that's the ultimate dystopia where this, the the services that are there to help you are are not inherently there to help you
1: yeah it's just uh, another business and it's it's awful
0: that like made me feel sick watching that cause it or reading that cuz it's just it's the the ultimate betrayal of your the society that you're taking a part in like like of all of the things the the the, the fire service should be the thing that like just reacts to fire you react to fire yeah. immediately you know I mean,
1: it's it's one of those things that we um we rightfully view as a right where it's like mm. um if you get if you're hurt uh and, no matter what your Uh, what country and what your insurance uh like how your healthcare system is set up at the very least if you're hurt you can call a number and an ambulance will come and get you Mm. Uh, and not like the cyberpunk thing of like them having to scan you (laughs) before they even send an ambulance and and yeah it's weird to think that one of these pillars of society could uh just be shifted in that way because um it's all, like it's super scary to just have like a mcdonalds which um has no one in there at all and you just press some buttons and it comes out of a machine mm-hmm. which we're like halfway there uh, currently with mcdonalds uh that's like one side of like oh automation has taken off but like the fact that uh your like financial standing will have um some sort of say in who's willing to save you or your belongings is um it's it's awful Mm.
0: we haven't actually gone into detail about the 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 other cast of characters in this comic so like beyond just charlie and vita we do get introduced to the interesting cast of the people who are put who are actually acting on the hits and the legislature behind those we have like the first woman the first person that she meets who attempts to kill her is this old this like seemingly cute little old lady with a tiny dog who just points a gun in her face and like the the way that charlie gets away is by like throwing uh, like a boiling cup of coffee in her face and running off um and like inexplicably stealing her dog for whatever reason which causes problems later on but like there's there's some really interesting characters that this. Uh, this affords like interesting scenarios like um so you have people who you wouldn't generally expect to want to be like you wouldn't expect to hit hitmen or hit people so like this old lady or um like the things that it enables so there's one which i thought was really interesting which is like you have tourist buses that take you on tours of the city but instead of it being a tour of the city it's a tour of people who have hits out on them so underneath your seats in this open top bus, you have a machine gun and you can take pot shots at the the person who is um, like has the hit out on them. So there's one point where Charlie and Vita are trying to escape from the city and they just have this tourist bus chasing after them with all the, with a bunch of like foreign tourists shooting them from the top of this bus <laughs> side. There's some really like really uh, really clever interactions from that kind of stuff. I don't know if any jumped out at you.
1: Well it's funny you bring that one up because um When I was in New York recently, Hmm. there was a bus going around that was like a sightseeing bus. But instead of it being like open top, sort of standard, you look out the windows. Instead, everybody was sat uh, in like tiered theatrical seating. And then there was a window just on one side of the bus. What? (laughs) It was like... If you were standing directly outside of the bus, it would be like everyone was just looking directly at you. So it's this weird, dystopian, almost Lynchian, uh, theatrical viewing of New York that people were having. Wait, wait. So like on the on the flat,
0: large side of the bus, so like the perpendicular side. So everyone's moving. Everyone's moving sideways inside that bus. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so so yeah. Every, everyone sat looking. So everyone sat looking to the left. So okay. everyone's facing the left, and they've got like a big sort of uh, window, and every everyone sat looking to the left as if like, um, it's as if that the bus itself isn't meant to be like that, and instead it's meant to be stationary, and then yeah. you just pull down the side of it, and then but ta da! You've got like a stage. You've you, um, you've got like seating. You've brought to some sort of event somewhere, but instead. That's not the case, it's just always on wheels going around uh, and all these people are sitting sideways inside this bus looking out at <laughs> the left. <laughs> That's the funniest thing I've heard. All and they're all smiling and waving at you and it, 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 it felt Lynchian. It was so weird. Like, it, it was almost to the degree where because the the window that they're looking at is, is slightly tinted mm. like, like windows normally are in that way I could imagine it where it was fully tinted and they could see us, but we couldn't see them, <laughs> which, which would be the end stage of, of, that, of su- that surreal nature. But if you told me all those people on, those, on that tiered seating all had uh, guns under their seats and they, they lowered down the, uh, the window, I could see that. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, It's more efficient than the comic book, actually.
0: It's <laughs> wild. I'd never heard of that before. I've never, certainly never seen that in London. But,
1: uh, um, I, I, we don't need it here. I don't yeah, we don't. <laughs>
0: was, it was freaky. Can you imagine if they were all like businessmen and they all had their suits on, all identical, like black and white suits, and they weren't even smiling or laughing, they were just sat there pointing out the side <laughs> of the bus?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, that adds an extra sinister tone to it.
0: God, I wish you hadn't told me that. That's horrible.
1: <laughs> I, I wish I had gotten the picture, but uh, I was just too horrified to even think about it. <laughs> but, um, like other elements, uh, like as in like how society as a whole reacts to this system.
0: Yeah, yeah. So like for example, the um, the live streaming thing, or like the the nature of fans of streamers. I don't know if anything like that jumped out at you.
1: Uh, I guess in relation to say the Trotter character, hmm. who is um, this influencer basically. Like the the PewDiePie of Hitman, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Um. And he is pretty good. At what he does, he, he seems like he's number one. And for him, it's like a whole, like literally a big show, but uh, also, uh, it's uh metaphorically kind of a show as well. And he has this whole thing where he works with this uh, associate called Cameron, who basically runs everything and is. It's sort of like uh, a PR person, but also the like uh, operations person. Basically, the person who's running the show, and uh, like she's kind of like uh, an agent as well, (laughs) Mm -hmm. where it's like, uh, oh, your views are up here. Da da da. You should do this. Um, and they have quite a um uh, like punchy relationship where Mm. uh, there's degrees where you you're unsure. her investment in him or and uh, if he's just a tool to um make her rich. Um hmm. and what's cool with this character is that they're not just the stereotype of like oh douchebag streamer blah blah because while um he has all of those elements we do get a bit of we do spend some time with him just by himself or him interacting with other people and we get a sort of sense into the hollowness that he has and the fact that it doesn't really seem like he has that much control, uh, like creative control in his life. Mm. And uh, for that, I mean, he's a complete douchebag, but um, it, it it doesn't like excuse him, but more like explains what happens when you have someone who's like that, who's um, because of the nature of this is kind of like an evil Knievel type take mad risks uh character but also there's a bit there's a lot of like game show host uh lifestyle uh guru type thing like he's a mm. whole brand he's a walking brand um and you get like shades where it doesn't we, we we don't really understand he doesn't really understand why he's doing what he's doing or he thinks things are different to what they really are
0: yeah yeah because it's this thing of like how he you you get a flashback of how he kind of fell into this this role that he has yeah and it, it did remind me of streamers who you know obviously you start off small and then you have these people who like burst into popularity and then don't quite know what to do with it and they're just taken along for the ride and I get that's a sense I get from him that it started off from quite small beginnings, um under quite tragic circumstances. Like yeah, for yeah. current current day streamers, like you fall into popularity because you're playing a video game and you just so happen to, you know, to resonate for whatever reason at that time. But if that if that resonant thing, if that instigation of your popularity was based on murder, like what that does to you, and then it does really inform. The person he is now and like the sadness he has in in him because like there's moments there's really nice touches where it um where it goes a different direction than you'd expect like he doesn't go full douchebag it's like that uh somebody says to him like he's having a party and somebody says oh we can get rid of all these people he's like no i don't want to be alone like i want to be surrounded by all this life i want all these people here i it's not just about being popular it's about not being
1: left in a room by yourself and and there's also the element of um I think it's uh Cameron who's like, Oh, we can just like do this thing and it basically sorts the kill for you and it's like, no, that's mm. cheating. Like we can't do that. Yeah. Like, people will find out and it will tear everything down. Like we've got to do this the proper way.
0: But also having a fear of like the Reddit crowd, because he does say like the um the fans are worse than the FBI.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. like
0: they'll they will find out every little dirty secret. Like, they'll you know not
1: hide. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, I think they do justice to these side characters with like giving them more depth than you, you know, than you could just easily get away with. You could, you could give this character, you could give Trotter the like the the simple douchebag facade and be done with it, but they go a, st- a couple of steps further. And I really, I really admire it. Yeah.
1: And it's like, it, it, it kind of, I don't know, like they, I have like shades of like, um, coaches who uh, like abuse like their star sports players and i, I mean mm. abuse in the sense that take advantage uh, yeah they the... take they take advantage of them um mm. uh, and like work them to the bone mm. and that they break them down mentally to make them think they're lesser than they are so they can get the maximum of their physical abilities mm. and like the the series of panels we get which are like a recording of what uh feels like his first kill uh and he doesn't know like what the hell's just happened? What the hell's just occurred? But he's just standing there, fully bloodied, with a knife in his hand, and he and it's like, you did it, you did it, dude, you did it. And like, um, there's other people around who are benefit benefiting off what he's just done as well. It it, it mm. is quite um quite horrifying, really, because um everyone around him is sort of just used. That. He he obviously has, an uh, he's obviously really good at killing people. Mm. um for whatever trauma or reason and that's just been used uh, and as you said like he's just been chipping at his soul the whole time
0: and made all the worse that like the framing device for that specific story is because somebody like a high a high spending fan has spent money to get 20 minutes of FaceTime with trotter and he's like uh what happened in your first kill? I heard you cried, you know? And then we get to see it. Like, of course, he's going through this emotional moment where he's murdered somebody and people are benefiting off, off the back of it. And like, he has to revisit this trauma because somebody wants to mock him for his emotion in that moment. Like, it's genuinely quite heartbreaking.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Oh, yeah, and he just, like, <laughs> this sad assistant sort of, just, like, living off, like, sponsored energy drinks. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Which reminded me of Greg a little bit. Just like caning energy drink after energy drink.
1: The old, <laughs> Which... the old days.
0: Yeah, in the old days, not now.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's... Um, I, I like that level of humanity that's uh, given to him, but not in a excuse your bad actions way. Mm, Instead, sure. we just got more of the totality of a character.
0: Yeah so this the thing the thing that I really appreciate with these kind of books is when they give lots of background detail that you kind of have to pick apart yourself and you can read as much in or out of it as you want. So there's there's one in issue 3 where um somebody is going through Charlie's DVR and like looking at the shows that she's been watching and essentially downloading but not actually getting the time to watch cuz she does so many jobs um but a lot of these are like reality tv shows with loads and loads of unwatched episodes i think also one of them was um god i can't remember what it's called like a, a, an actual real life tv show that has hundreds of episodes and she hasn't watched 124 of them however there's one on that list which was called a nation of killers and every single episode on that show is watched so i wonder if that is going to hint at something about her personality like the fact that she's been watching this show about about killing um, but neglecting all the ones that are about just, you know, general reality TV, like that kind of stuff. I don't know if I'm reading too much into that, but that I thought was really interesting. Um, the thing I was talking about earlier when it came to like the the Kickstarter funding amount that she has on her head, it's mm. so, like I, in typical me fashion, I made a little spreadsheet of every number and the amount of people that was talked about in these first three days that we get in volume one. Yeah. So it ranges from 1.2 million at approximately 2,000 people um, all the way up to 2.4 million-ish to 7,000 people. And what I noticed was if you get the average dollar per person, it starts off at around 600 per person and then immediately drops to like 400. And then by the third day it's dropped to 300. And I think what that implies is that there's one or it must have been. A core subset of like really high contributors to that value that immediately boosted how much money is put on our head and I'm wondering what that implies about the conspiracy like somebody who is big has must have dropped the money on but as more and more people get on you realize that they're contributing smaller and smaller amounts and I like that that hints at the idea that once you get this ball rolling people will just contribute money because they want to like it implies that People at the start put in really high amounts. And at the end, they're putting in like $5, $10. Even one of her friends says, Oh, I didn't contribute. Oh no, actually I did. I put in like $5 worth. And like just to be a part of it. And what that says about like this snowball effect of if you become popular, if it's like a big thing, if you if it looks like people are giving money to it, people just keep feeding money to it. And like it's awful because like the popularity generates more popularity and like it's just her hole is getting is getting dug deeper and deeper just by virtue of it starting off on a really high hill and like that's terrifying to me like if you can get people wanting to contribute to your murder just because you have already been established as the target of murder like i don't know that's just that's a really scary concept to me people are just throwing money at it for no reason
1: yeah cuz now it's like um whatever the original reason is now now moot uh, now mm. it's uh, just entertainment Now now she's on TV And uh, people are just Sort of following the bandwagon It's like how um, uh, do, 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 The uh, You know there's like um, What, what mm. is the word? Petitions, that's it, online mm. petitions How those um, In their early days They're really hard to get up to that threshold But then mm. you find that once they hit like The threshold, say it's one million then a couple of days later, you find out the thing's on 2 million now, and then on yeah. 3 million, 4 million. And I think there's like a like psychology thing to being a bit more all-in when you see uh, other people have been.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's the thing I was getting at with this. Because like, if 1.2 million comes from only 2,000 people, and then by day three, that value has doubled. But the amount of people has quadrupled, because it goes up to almost 8,000 people. Like, that implies something about the 6,000 people in the middle only, like, generating the same value from the beginning. Like, it's, I don't know, it's just wild to me. Like, the same 1.2 million is generated by 2,000 people and then 6,000 people. And to amass that amount of, like, users is scary. And, like, I, I really hope that that's one of those touch points that the writers or the designers have actually considered Because I I feel like that resonated with me really quite hard because
1: that's, I mean, my job is to look at these kind of numbers in day to day life. So I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm reading too much in. No, I I think so. I mean, there's a reason that it's there. They would either just tell you Mm. the amount or tell you backers. I think there's a reason why those are are there in concert with each other. And Mm. um, I think that it it does mean a thing and it is a comment um, that is being made.
0: Yeah, and that kind of detail really I, I love those kind of things. I love it. Because I had to I had to put in a bit of work to discover that. And I think it actually adds to the story, adds to the history of that that plot, I think. We haven't talked much about um visually how this comic performs. Like one of the things I wanted to point out, and it's uh and the reason it came to mind is because it's on a page that I'm looking at right now in issue six, where um there's some really interesting onomatopoeia going on in this book like uh, constantly th- the sound effects are like visually you get like explosions which are drawn in letters that say kabloom or kapow or whatever Wow! Yeah. Wh- yeah there's one that i'm looking at right now where there's somebody's firing off a machine gun um and you're getting like rat tata or like um all these b's and r's and t's and stuff and every single hole in those letters so, like the the hole in the a or the two holes in the b are formed of bullet casings and like i didn't even pick up on that the first time but like there's so much of that peppered throughout this book um that i just think the amount of energy that's gone into giving you something to look for in the backgrounds of each of these each of these panels is really rewarding
1: yeah and it, it speaks to why uh the letterer is one of the people uh, credited as as one of the creators as well it feels like uh, a full ensemble uh, have come together to uh, put this, put this uh, express uh, this story
0: yeah because that's not the kind of thing you could do in isolation like you'd have to be like metaphorically or not in the room together like you'd have to be discussing that back and forth and then le- like the, the artist would have to leave space for the, the, the letterer
1: to put that kind of stuff in and... yeah like it has to be a core consideration
0: yeah, this this is when I wish comic books had behind the scenes like documentaries and stuff. I would love to see how this one got made.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, because it, it would be cool to have like and um, like strip panel naked or type documentary mm. uh, it, it, into the the various stages of, of the the book coming together.
0: Yeah cuz the the reason I had it in mind was cuz I was watching um like the final days of documentaries that you have on youtube about video games. Mm. I would really like to see more of that kind of cuz obviously you can you can get interviews with people, you can uh get their thoughts and you know their spiel at the end of each comics like people often give uh, storyboards or like sketches and um like the scripts like excerpts of those but I really want to see like actual deep dive how you would get with a movie like a two hour documentary about how this thing was created. I would, I would love to see that, but also on the, since we're, since I brought up stuff about um, like lettering and background detail, did you find that some of the speech bubble layout was a bit confusing at points? Like there were a couple of occasions where I felt like two people were having a dialogue, but their individual bubbles were placed in a way that um, kind of broke up the flow and like made me have to go back and forth and think, which order things were being said in, I like, it's one of those things that I really don't notice until it's not working for me. And I think it only happened like two or three times in this book over the course of these six issues. But there was a moment where I like, I was really confused about what was happening because of that. Like, I don't know if you picked up on anything like
1: that. Um, To memory, there was one splash page early on where I originally read it in what I assume is the correct order. But then for hmm, possibly I haven't actually. And then I think it's where they first go to uh Vita's house. Oh right. And they're yeah. walking through it. I think there's a point there where the right or down thing overlap in a way because of where mm-hmm. the characters like they, they're they're doing that thing where the characters are all there but at different points in time in that one flash. Yeah and yeah. because of that I read it correctly the first time, but then uh, before leaving the page I was like oh did I and then re- read it again in the wrong order and then I was like no I was right the first time where um, yeah that is uh, an example of me coming into that thing but I think it's because it, that particular page is, is quite different quite uh, unconventionally laid out
0: yeah because it's kind of like a Wimmel builder-y type um, thing where it's like a cross cut of that Like imagine if the house if it had corridors at the front of the house going across each level, and then it sliced through that corridor, so you get to see Vita and uh, Charlie walking from the top level of the house and spiraling down through those corridors, and then you kind of get to see into each room at the same time through that. Yeah, I think I had a similar reaction on this page as well, where because the bubble, the speech bubbles are kind of not laid out in an obvious arc, I could see why you would be confused about what. Order things were happening in, but I guess you could read it in either direction as well. I don't know. It's one of those things where it's it's not quite um, honed enough to feel like it could be messy or not. I feel like it's just I don't know. It's somewhere in the middle, and it it's not just not quite considered enough to be fully readable. I don't know. I think I, I had a couple of moments in this book, and that was one of my only sour points on this book
1: so far. Uh, well, there's. During splashes as well, or they um, during just normal pages? no, I think
0: I think there was a couple where it was just normal pages where like you would expect um, dialogue bubbles to be interleaved with each other, so like very obviously stacked, and I think there were a couple of occasions where they weren't they were just a bit too far apart that it wasn't it wasn't inherently obvious who was talking when, and I just I don't know it's one of those things you just you don't notice it until you notice it, and I don't know, it took me out of the book just a little bit hmm. Um, yeah, I think I've I've said all I need to say on this book. I don't know if you've got any more points that you'd want to, to touch on.
1: Uh, just some things that I would probably uh, go back on. Uh, I think the, uh, we've mentioned it before, but to lean in a bit more, the character designs are amazing in this book. Uh, mm. it's, and it's a mix of a few things. I like the diverse body types we're getting in this. Um, and they're not commented on as a thing. Like it's not yeah. hmm. this character's this size or shape because of whatever. Uh, I I think we're we have like um like uh, like the the way the relationships um, are set out on this are how we generally get basic heterosexual relationships, mm-hmm. but these ones are not. They're like bi and lesbian. But it's not...
0: They're not calling attention to it because they're bi or lesbian. It's... No,
1: it, it... In- instead, they're treated how straight relationships are generally treated. And that is quite uh, nice. But not nice in a novel way, but nice in that the characters feel more real because of this. Mm. It's kind of refreshing, because like, as
0: much as I admire books which have that front and centre, I think it's nice that this is... It's understated and quite natural. Like these relationships exist, and they don't have to be, like, pointed out every time they're on screen or on on page.
1: Yeah, and I like I think particularly with Vita and her ex, who's the, the cop, mm. their relationship does give us some more insight into Vita, which I quite like, uh, and she gets to be. More, um, uh, what's the word? She, she gets to be more emotional in a sense because she's quite, uh, not stern, I guess, to a degree, but because she's all business because her job is to keep someone alive,
0: mm.
1: and that person's very annoying. Uh, even then, we see her like break a little bit and like soften and uh, explain a bit more about herself reluctantly as uh, Charlie falls asleep anyway, um, but the relationship she has with the cop uh, her ex uh, gives us an e- extra like dimension to the issues that they would have had during their relationship and, and where they butt heads and what it says about both characters mm-hmm. um and i just love how that stuff is is rendered and i love the design of like all these different characters i love um the the colors uh, especially I, I re- like the. I think the color throughout is really good, and it pops in in really cool ways. There's like a, a theming to certain panels, but then I also love when characters are just having a conversation. Instead of getting background, we just get like a like lightly gradate, uh, gradation of like a big like plum or like purpley or fuchsia just in the background instead of it being white. Yeah, uh, I really like that.
0: Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, really intense, like, vibrant color work going on, which I really like, especially because so many of these scenes are set during firefights or, like, nightclubs and stuff, and it allows for that vivid color work. Um, I also, I really love Vita's colors in general, because she has, like, the yellow jacket and the yellow shoes. And there's a point where you get to look inside her wardrobe, and it's basically just alternating yellow and gray, which is her, it's basically her outfit in every single issue so far. And I, I, yeah, I like that they give that moment to
1: it. Yeah, and I love how that color theming uh, works in like the speech bubble way when characters is yes. speaking off screen, and we just know immediately who's talking because of uh, the ca- The characters themselves mm. have a, have like their own themes, like um, how Charlie uh, is a, a, a Caucasian presenting person, but <laughs> she's like literally pink, and yeah. has like uh, vibrant pink hair as well. And like pink clothing, and uh, like Mm -hmm. I love like strong character-based colors. Mm. Uh, I think it does Um, a lot.
0: And like a lot of the characters do have their own palette. So like Vita having yellow in her um, like her clothing and also her car, which is like a big block bright yellow. Um, Charlie being pink. There's also some of the the hitmen. There's there's one person who is like has a green theming and even then some of the incidental characters like there's a, can't remember which issue it is later on but like there um you get a scene where it's like people who you don't actually know they're like incidental characters each one of them has their own little colored background yeah. uh, as well I can I like that it's consistent it's not just your the protagonists or your main characters who get given that treatment like there's a lot of any a lot of effort gone into like making everything look that that colorful and diverse
1: yeah and just on top of that uh it, it's just nice to see so many different shades, and especially so mm. many like like brown shades of characters, and it's not not even a thing. they it's just these these characters. It, it, it's nice and it's nice it, to it, look at.
0: It's interesting because like that's the kind of thing that is either I, I don't know how I want to put this. Like it's either you're a person who's living that and that's your truth, and then you put it on page, and it's it's almost easy to be able to represent all these different you know like the the spectrum of humanity because you you know it and you live it or it's doing a magic trick where it takes an awful lot of consideration to to make this feel natural and i think it's somewhere in the middle i think it does i think you have to think about these things and then i i really do appreciate the amount of thinking that has gone into making this look I don't know, like the way we would see the world. I don't know if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like it could be so easily done wrong if you overthink it, or you underthink it, or you you try and over-egg the situation by making it. Yeah. Too diverse. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. I I think uh. I think it's a mix of like the art team living their truth, but also like I think there is an intention just to. Uh, present the world as as it appears, Mm. but also to not fall into the whole thing of like, okay, here's a character, default white type thing.
0: Yeah, I think the thing, (laughs) the the touchstone that I had when I was reading it was it doesn't feel like a 90s high school magazine. You know what I mean? Where you have like the quote-unquote diverse cast of people on the front of that cover and like it feels... It feels inherently wrong somehow because you know that it's done in a cynical or like, um, uh, I don't know, I don't know, cynical or patronizing kind of way. Yeah, like yeah. This, this...
1: It's the United Colors of Benetton type thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Like I dis, I, di- I didn't get any hint from this book of that at all. Like it felt supernatural. I like really super space natural. Yeah, <laughs> I,
1: like. I think a lot of that is because we're getting different shades of the same in terms of characters Mm. we're looking so it's it's the classic thing of like if you want to like people complain with this stuff saying like oh well i guess i can't make the black character evil because that'll be racist and it's like Mm -hmm. well no uh it's just a case of like being mindful of the history of that representation but then also if you want if you create this cool character uh blah blah just make it so that they're not the only represent uh, spokesperson for their like race or ethnicity.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like the the diversity is genuinely diverse. Like there's such a spectrum of different shapes, um, skin tones, hair, like hairstyles, all of these different things that it's like genuinely spread. Like there's so many different variants. Like which gender is... expression as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I I, I really admire um I assume there's effort gone into this and I admire the effort.
1: Yeah, and uh, like just on top of that, just to make all the characters look really cool as well. Like The (laughs) the green-lipped assassin don't know what their deal is, but they are Mm. pretty awesome.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what what their deal is. Uh, Which I assume we'll get in the next volume. Yeah. Because it's funny, because we followed that character for a good couple of issues, and all we really see is them on the approach, like investigating, but not actually in engaging or intersecting with um Charlie Ovita yet. Yeah. Kind of just sat in the background watching things unfold and like observing. Observing and waiting for opportunity, I think is is what it is. And I I'm really looking forward to when that opportunity comes along. Because they seem hyper capable. <laughs> <laughs> um, like all these I love the the touches of like when they go to scan their credit card or whatever. Um, and you get the flash of um, transmission failed. Oh no! Then transmission succeeded. Like, there's clearly they've clearly got talent in hacking these systems and making things work for them, or like um, stealing somebody's bicycle and then you get to see in the background like somebody chasing after it. Things like that. Like, I I just want to see the extent of this person's capabilities because they seem so much more put together than like the other hitman we've seen so far.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like um, the fact that we're getting this slow burn uh, and slow like reveal with this character uh to the fact that we are six issues in and we don't even know their name yeah. uh, i um i'm excited to what the uh true intention uh of them is and in some degrees more so than whatever it is that uh charlie's hiding to be honest because i i mm. with these characters I want to spend time with them, but not for like any mystery box reason. So I'm hoping yeah. that the reveal of that is a more elegant thing and not some original sin, conspiracy, government thing.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's not the main draw for me anyway. But I'm yeah, I'm looking forward to what that is with this this particular character. There's I had shades of because they haven't acted in malice or in like, I mean, they've they've, they've done some malicious things, but like they haven't acted in the ultimate, like, I'm going to kill Charlie sort of way, yeah, I wonder if they're a secret ally somehow, like, it's going to be, that's going to be the flip, is that they're following in order to try and save them at some point and, like, maybe...
1: Yeah, that's the thing I could see that as well, Mm. because um, even their actions to the person who were, the people who were doing, like, the Airbnb in the apartment,
0: Mm.
1: it it was just, uh, knock you out for, so you're out of my way while I do my business, and then sorry for the mess, see you later. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Normally, in th- these type of fictions, those people are dead. Yeah, because they'd be like ultimately
0: ruthless and like doing things just for their own yeah um, their own progression. But yeah, they they seem quite like willing to take the extra step to not murder people, which is interesting for a hitman. So yeah, I want to I want to see what develops there. I guess uh, should we should we cut it off there? Um, unless you have anything else to add?
1: No, I, I think. Uh... I think between this and our, our review of the the first issue, um, we've covered a lot of the bases here. Um, if you're listening to this and you've not read uh, the first volume, I would highly recommend it regardless. Because um, I think that even though we've gone through some like plot details and stuff, I don't... It's not really like... Um, big story like spoiler reveal stuff really Mm. uh, that's even taken place here so i think that you could still go in um uh, have a quite a fresh uh experience getting different sort of panel to panel reveals instead um Mm. so i would definitely recommend picking up this book um it's really good
0: yeah echoing what leon just said i think there's a real joy to just experiencing this book and i think that's something i find hard to find in comics sometimes i think that's the thing that i bounce off of occasionally is that the moment to moment the actual act of reading from panel to panel i can occasionally find quite frustrating whereas this felt very refreshing it felt very like i was enjoying that process like leon was saying the um uh like the panel to panel reveals are really good and I think you'll still get something out of that even having listened to us so I would also I would concur um really heavy recommendation for this book um and yeah so that was uh, that was us talking about Crowded volume one and I believe by the time this episode comes out there will have been 10 issues uh but not volume two yet I think volume two is going to be early 2020.
1: Yeah seems about right
0: yeah let's wrap it up um, I, I've completely forgotten the, uh, the spiel that G- uh, Greg gives at the end of these episodes but essentially what it boils down to is you can see all of our work on acecomicals.com um, you can contact us either via Twitter or at acecomicals or you can reach us on our email which is
1: acecomicals
0: at gmail.com thanks Leon acecomicals <laughs> at gmail.com um, where can we get in touch with you on, online Leon
1: Find me mostly on Twitter. Uh, I'm extremely online at Leon Everett.
0: Yeah, um, uh, echoing that, I'm also extremely online, but you'll find me not using my real name uh, on Twitter at Monkeh. So that's at M O O N K E H. We'll leave you there. This has been Ace Comicals episode 77. Over and out. Cool. I've stopped recording.
1: I will tell Craig to get the fuck out of (laughs) here. Yeah, leave it out, Craig. Bye, Craig.